everyone. I'm T.D. Worthington, pastor of the Pathway Baptist Church in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and this is Pathlight, and we're so glad to have you tuned in to today's program. Hope you will stay with us for the next 25, 30 minutes or so of Bible study, fellowship, got some music coming your way, and a time together as we study the Word of God. I'd like to take this opportunity to mention to you, if I might, Pathway Christian Academy in Goldsboro. I, I realize many people who are listening to this program are, are certainly not in commuting distance of, uh, of Goldsboro, North Carolina. But if you happen to be, I want to encourage you to check in to Pathway Christian Academy. We offer an academically sound uh, Christian program, a program in a Christian environment for kindergarten four right on through grade 12. Now, many of our classes quite honestly, are already filled. But uh, we do have some vacancies available. So if you'd like to check into that, check out the website if you'd like to, pathwayacademy.org. Again, that's pathwayacademy.org. And you'll find a, a wealth of information there. And if, you, if you're interested after reading that, why not give us a call and, uh, and someone can set up an appointment and you can come and tour the campus, take a look at, uh, at some of the... Uh, uh, curriculum that your children will be studying, meet some of the staff, and, uh, you know, we, we can take care of all that for you. Since uh, Pathway Christian Academy originally began back in 1982 and been continuing all these years, so we're not some fly-by-night outfit, so I want you to encourage you, if you will, to, uh, to check it out. Again, that's pathwayacademy.org. I want to share with you today a message on knowing your Father's God. Knowing your father's God. Now, if your father was a godly man, it might be good for you to know his God. If your father was an ungodly man and worshipped uh, uh, at the, some other altar, the altar of humanism or the altar of money or the altar of power or whatever, then you might not want to embrace his God. But if your father was a godly man, a good man, a man who loved the Lord, and tried to obey God's word, then it's good for you to know your father's God. And we'll be talking about that right now in just a few minutes. So please, if you will, stay tuned. We'll be looking in a moment in Deuteronomy chapter number six, picking up around verse number around verse number five. So you stay with us if, uh, if you will. Right now, music with a little bit of the patriotic uh, flavor coming your way right now, just before today's message. If tomorrow all the things were gone I worked for all my life And I had to start again with just my family and my wife I thank my God above to be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away Yeah. 
Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea From Detroit on down to Houston From New York to L.A. There's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say be an American no doubt no doubt about uh, no doubt about that so glad to have you tuned in again today to the program and hope you will stay with us for the entire program today the title of the message knowing your father's God can I read to you please in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 5 through 9 you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might Our Lord Jesus would pretty much requote that in the New Testament, if you remember. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and gates, knowing your father's God. There are men and women that I have studied over the years that lift me up from within. When I think about their faith, I think about the courage, I think about the stand they have taken sometimes even in the midst of great adversity, I, I am just stirred uh, when, I, when I read about them. I'm encouraged and lifted up. We've read about them. We know their names. We are familiar with their stories. Yet when I look at these great men and women that have so influenced the church and influenced us individually, I realize that comparatively little is said of the ordinary saints whose prayers and lives and instruction working behind the scene, shaped these men and women that were later so mightily used of God. Often these were parents, sometimes they were other influences in their life, but these are the people that helped shape them. Oftentimes we don't know these folks, but without these folks, 
those men and women that have made such a mark for Christianity might not have made that mark. Might not have made that mark. We admire the flowers sometimes and forget the roots. Mothers often play a formative role in the lives of great men. We read about Hannah, stands behind Samuel, Elizabeth behind John the Baptist, Eunice behind Timothy, and on and on and on. We could, we could talk about others. They're praying, they're weeping, and they're pleading. Their testimony gave birth to lions for the kingdom of God. But it was not just mothers, it was also fathers. Back in 1606, a Spanish explorer discovered a chain of 80 islands stretched across 450-some miles in the South Pacific later named the New Hebrides. The islands were inhabited by people, actually these people were cannibals, whose existence had been unknown to the rest of the world for centuries. These people had been protected, if you will, from, from civilization. It would be another 230 plus years before two London missionaries made the first attempt to bring the gospel to these unreached people and that happened in 1839. But their ministry was short-lived. And actually, these two missionaries were short-lived because they were killed and eaten by cannibals only minutes after going ashore. They didn't have time to build a church or to share one sermon or to give one testimony. But now I want to introduce you to someone else. His name was John Gibson Patton. Some call him Paton, some say Peyton, but I will call him Patton if you don't mind. It's P-A-T-O-N. Now, John was born in Scotland in 1824, and he and his wife became missionaries to the New Hebrides Islands in 1858. Now, this was not a very popular decision among a lot of folks. As a matter of fact, on one account, before leaving a respected elder in the church warned the couple says you're going to be eating my cannibals if you go there which was true it was indeed very possible that that would happen that happened to the prior missionaries and it happened to others that had tried to venture into the island to set up trade and things like that it just didn't work but Patton responded to the well-meaning elder and said this I'm quoting Mr. Dixon you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. <laughs> well, I suppose that was a good answer. Upon arrival, of course, they began their work, and, and they were not uh, attacked initially by the, by the cannibals, and they began their work, and tragically, though, his wife died from a tropical fever within three months of their arrival, and she was soon followed to the grave by, by their young son. So in less than about four months, he's lost his wife, He's lost his young son. Throughout his ministry, John brought the island natives education. He brought them Christianity. He taught them everything he could about how to raise crops and things of that nature. He developed small industries from him, such as 
uh, for them, such as hat making. He advocated strongly against slavery, which the natives practiced. They had a form of slavery where they would sell captives into slavery. Through his life and work were difficult and often dangerous, Patton preached. He was later remarried and raised a family and worked to raise support in Scotland for missionary work. He was a man of intense and robust character. He was a man of great personality. Patton was also an author and able to tell his story in print. He is held up even today as an example and an inspiration for missionaries and missionary work around the world. Patton didn't play. He was a courageous man who understood how to do missions. We can do well to follow his example. He accepted that dying is gain and God is sovereign. He endured one threat after another and put it all on the line for the glory of Christ time after time after time. In the end, he was not eaten by cannibals, but rather the cannibals were led to Christ. As a matter of fact, one of the entire islands in the New Hebrides group, it said that every inhabitant of the island had accepted Christ. Patton died at the ripe old age of 82. But here's my question today for the program. What inspired such faith? What was it? Now, we give God the glory, but I'm looking here on a human level, and I'm wondering what inspired such faith in Patton. Perhaps it began in a humble college of a cottage of a hard-working, ordinary man, a man that the missionary societies probably wouldn't even recognize his name, and it's not recorded in the history books as great in the great annals of missionaries because he was not. But I'm referring to Patton's father, serving as an example to stir the heart of every dad. His name was James, James Patton. He was a father of 11. And I read to you a moment ago Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I do believe that James Patton lived those verses. Can I repeat them to you? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your, on your gates. James labored all day as a stocking manufacturer to, uh, to support his family, taking breaks to pray earnestly in his prayer closet after every meal. He led family devotions just consisting of scripture and reading and application and teaching and singing and fervent prayer for the lost world. He walked four miles in each direction with his children to church every week, talking of the Lord all along the way. An endeavor, John insists, was not a burden to the children. The children never complained about that. Perhaps they knew better. But upon arriving back home each Sunday, he would impart the sermon from memory to his wife. She had to remain at home due to poor health and if there was some part of the sermon that he forgot, the kids would fill in the gaps. John would 
speak of his father leading the family in prayer. Can I quote to you now from John's writings? He said, how much my father's prayers at this time impress me, I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus. And for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if the presence of the living Savior and learned to know and to love him as our divine friend. The day came when John announced that he was going to the mission field and finally the day arrived when he was to leave. In sending off his son to a possible horrific death, James handed him off cheerfully to divine providence. Listen listen to what John would write about his dad and about the day he left home. Again, I'm quoting. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsel and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then. Whenever memory steals me away to the scene, his, his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence and then solemnly said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could and went about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me. I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I was round the corner and out of sight in an instant, but my heart was too full and sore to carry me further, so I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood there where I'd left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me. And after he had gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home, and began to return, his head still uncovered. And his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze and then, hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. The appearance of my father when we parted has often through life risen vividly before my mind and does so now as if it had been but an hour ago. In my earlier years, particularly when exposed to many temptations, his parting form rose before me as that of a guardian angel. 
It's no Phariseeism, but deep gratitude, which makes me here testify that the memory of that scene not only helped me to keep pure from the prevailing sins, but also stimulated me in all of my studies that I might not fall short of his hopes and in all my Christian duties that I might faithfully follow his, that is my father's, shining example. This would be the last time that John would see his dad. But when John's dad finally left this earth for glory, he left an unforgettable spiritual legacy. In John's own words, and again I'm quoting, never in temple or cathedral, on mountain or in glen, can I hope to feel that the Lord God is more near, more visibly walking and talking with men than under that humble cottage roof of thatch and oak and wood. Though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of my memory or blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in the sanctuary closet. And hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubts with the victorious appeal. He walked with God, and why may not I? He's referring to his dad. He walked with God. Why may not I? I would like for my children to have a testimony kind of like that, you know. Where, as, as John says here, through some cataclysmic event, if my memory was erased, if I didn't have a Bible, if for whatever reason I, 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 I lost my mind, I hope maybe I could go back and remember the home I grew up in and how Jesus Christ was honored in that home and how my dad prayed you know, even people with dementia oftentimes can remember things that happened a long time ago. They might not remember something that happened an hour ago, but I remember my mom in fighting dementia the last years of her life uh, sometimes could not remember things that happened on that very day. But yet I remember one time she pulled out a picture. I think it was her first or second grade school class. It was a class together. She began to name all the students. How could she do that? I, I don't know. But maybe the same is true for you and I. Mom and dad, maybe the things we're teaching our kids at home should one day their mind not be as sharp as it is now. Maybe they might remember growing up and the scriptures that you taught them, the lessons you taught them. Fathers, fathers, we will not have all children so distinguished as to convert an island of cannibals to Christ. But we can all have a glorious testimony like his dad, like James Patton. Of the many lessons he teaches us, one primary lesson for me is to relentlessly pray and exhort my children that they may know the Christ that I know. God bless you, my son, James Patton said, as he handed his son into the hands of divine providence. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Simply put, the sincere hope of every godly man says, may you trust and worship your father's God. So I'd like to ask you today, 
What gift delights you most? I think the gift that delights you most should be to see your children, their faith in Christ. Don't ask for little league championships or prosperous careers or for a peaceful life void of hardship. Don't ask for a beautiful or handsome spouse for your child or adorable grandkids that live right down the street. All these things may have their place, but I'm just simply saying my hope for your children exceeds the best gifts of this life. I long and fast. I instruct and encourage. I study and preach. I forgive and ask forgiveness toward this supernatural end that your kids might serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason our academy exists, that we might point little boys and girls to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I plead that my God, whom I have served these years, would be theirs. May you, Dad and Mom, trust in Him. May you give Him opportunity to prove that He will be as faithful to you as as God has been to me. May you resist the lures of this world and find your all in the God who promises you Himself and all the earth beside. He is light in the darkness, comfort in the deepest valleys. His presence silences the greatest fears. He is higher, he's better, he's worthy. The greatest inheritance I long to leave you is a living faith in this most merciful, powerful, and wonderful God. Something that you can share with your children. I want you to know and worship my God. And then I pray that your children will know and worship yours. If your father was a godly man, I ask you today, do you know your father's God? If you're a godly man, I ask you today, do your children know yours? Do they know their father's God? Because if you're a Christian, that is so important for you to leave that heritage with your children that they might know their father's God. With that, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to today's program. And if our programs are a blessing to you, we would, of course, enjoy hearing hearing from you. Uh, you can also catch these programs on the Pathlight Podcast if you'd like to check that. Not only this program, but there's an archive of many of the past programs on there also. You can also find it on Facebook on the uh, Go Mix Christian Radio Facebook site, the Pathway Academy Facebook site. You can find it there, as well as the Christian Bible College Facebook site and several others. You'll find it there. It's called Pathlight. Anyway, till next time, T.D. Worthington say, may God richly bless you is our prayer. You have a wonderful week as you walk with our Lord. Mm-hmm.